All right, joining me today is Richard Soroter, Director of Developer Relations and Outbound Product Management at Google Cloud. Richard, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me again on this. You didn't learn your lesson the first time, so that's great to hear. Well, I did learn the lesson, and I learned the lesson that I need someone as prolific as you to help guide us through the uh, content onslaught from Google Cloud Next. And that's uh, really why I wanted to have you on today was that we just had uh, the big conference. You were there. You had a big part in it. And uh, so I kind of consider this a little cheat sheet, a little uh, for everyone that maybe didn't watch uh, every conceivable uh, session. And then maybe you could help us with some of the highlights. So let's just say, let's jump right in. So the first thing with all these conferences is I always like to just do like the vibe check because I think this was, you correct me if I'm wrong. I think, was this the first like full in-person Google Cloud Next since kind of the pandemic? Yeah, I think it's been like four years. So yeah, it's been a lot. Wow, that long. Okay, well, what was the vibe? Was it like a reunion? Was it like, oh, no, we're back to business as usual? Like, we're, I don't know, just give me the, the sense of the overall f- feel of the conference. Yeah, I mean, half of it seemed to be just for us as employees to just enjoy seeing each other, fall in love with the company again, like, just get that chance to like, do that. So yes, there was definitely some of that, you know, look, I think we've all lied to ourselves for a couple of years during the pandemic, like, oh, we can all work remotely and we're more productive this way. And that some of it might be true, but I think we've missed human interaction. We've missed, frankly, honestly, it was great, Brandon, during the uh, the opening keynote, the Wi-Fi went weird in uh, the center. And so instead of doing something like live tweeting it or blogging, whatever, I just had to like an animal sit there and just watch. And it was <laughs> so great because I can't think of the last time I sat for 90 minutes and listened to someone. Because now what do you do? There's no way you or I have listened to an online conference in the last three years and not quickly switched to another tab, done some other stuff, listened in the background. So when is the last time you just stopped and freaking focused? It has been so long for me. So that was great. The conferences, I think, do that in a way that you don't do when you do online events. So a lot of it was that. Plus, just look, we're in a different place, Google Cloud, than we were four years ago. There's, you know, you don't have the same conversation of, I wonder if Google's in this tub for the long term. I wonder if Google's going to catch up. And now there's just a little more of a vibe of like, I mean, this company is not only in it, they're in it to win it. I think that's a different vibe. It's fun. Like, well, this, is a, this is a fun time to be in this space and nobody seriously questions whether our commitment's legit. Yeah, no, definitely. I think a lot of the publicly reported metrics and financial metrics have definitely kind of shown that, you know, I don't know, maybe turn the corner is not the right word, but I, I just think the <laughs> commitment is, uh, it's clear, right? It's clear it's a big business to Google. And obviously, even though you had uh, your CEO there before Thomas came out, right? So that's, you know, it's another example of it. So, so it's good. Well, I think you hit an like, underrated uh, thing about conferences. It's just like, it is kind of true, especially with so much remote work. It does act as like a company meeting, which is like, I don't know, it's very important sometimes. It's a good reason for like a forcing function for everyone to get together. So I'm glad Glad, I'm glad that happened. So well, let's start with the keynote. Um, my summary <laughs> was Google adds generative AI to everything. That was sort of like my like just broad based like takeaway was like, wow, they're just like they got like every time they would say something, they'd be like, and, and you can do this new thing with AI. Um, but what was like, what's a more a better way to summarize that? What's your kind of like thinking of how to process the keynote? Yeah. So first off, it's a little different than Google I.O., which was a lot of fun. I did that as well, where, you know, the team, Sundar and team, really just did a good job of saying AI a lot. And there were some funny little mashups of just how many times we said AI, and it was nonstop. Uh, And it's fine. It helped the stock price. I guess that didn't matter. But more importantly, like, that was fine. Look, hey, we're in the game. We're doing amazing stuff. Remember, we've been doing AI for 10 years, yada, yada. 
This one was a little different. So first off, there were a lot of things we did besides AI, some great data service stuff, distributed cloud product updates, security stuff. But of course, like AI was the thing, but I think you're seeing more two sophistications here. A, it's about applied AI. It's not just AI for AI's sake. What are we doing? What are companies doing? Where's the value? It's not just AI. To, like, I'm just going to rub some AI on it. Like, what are we getting out of it? And so first you're seeing now real discussions about, hey, company did X, people are doing Y, and I think that's good. And then secondly, you saw, even in uh, Thomas Curian's keynote and others, was this, this kind of question like AI is a, is a spectrum though. You have data scientists and people using TPUs and GPUs like training models. Cool, that's like 1% half a 1%, like a tiny set of people right. who do that, who are super smart, and that's not me. Then you have people who say, hey, I like Palm, Llama 2, Claude from Anthropic. Like, I want to use existing pre-trained models and then bake them into my apps. I want to build smarter stuff. Awesome. That's a lot of devs now. That's a lot of folks who go, this is pretty awesome. I can like embed these really multimodal cool models and make a better customer experience, do all kinds of things. And then you have the third one, category in this spectrum, which is how do I just use things that have been now pre-baked with AI and now is more fun to use? You saw stuff with Workspace, where yeah, it's helping me do stuff now. Freaking Google Meet is summarizing meetings for me when I didn't attend. That's magic. I can skip so many of my meetings now. So like that's amazing. Or what we announced with Duet that says, hey, maybe the cloud experience has gotten super powerful, but really complicated. And if I just kind of sprinkle AI into the UI and experience, fundamentally just makes it better. So in that last category, it's using AI, but that's not really the point. The point is you're just making the work better. And so I think that's cool. And I think you're seeing it's not just blah, AI, all the things. It's, do you want to build models? Do you want to kind of embed or extend models? Or do you just want to consume smarter things? And I think that's, again, where we're doing more than anybody in those dimensions. And so we're that's probably why I'm seeing it more than maybe other folks who are kind of catching up to aspects of it. But I think for the customer, that's great because most of us are living in the latter two where we're incorporating some of this stuff or we just like make my project management software better, make my Gmail smarter, make my cloud better. AI, I don't care. I don't care if it's hamsters or Oompa Loompas, just like make it better for me. That's cool. And I, I think that's where that's where I get excited. Yeah, that's, that all makes a lot of sense. So let's that's a good place to kind of start because I'm kind of of the, the mindset these days that, you know, AI has been out and everyone sort of like, there's all these explainers on how to build a model. Like, and I think we've all, at least for me, had to get out the old matrix math and be like, okay, what was this in college <laughs> and the waiting? And then, you know, you kind of understand it. Then um, I get to the point that I understand it. And I decide like, I never actually want to actually have to do this. Like, I just like never. So I don't, are you kind of, look, as you going forward, I guess, like, maybe this is just kind of your opinion. Like how much time for like the average developer should they be thinking about like, should I go learn how to like build a model or should I just learn how to use one of the many models that exist? So, like, what do you think about that? It's a good question. Look, I think all of us are better off if we're, you know, in the liberal arts mindset, a little well-rounded. Like I think being aware of some of these things is important. Like I don't really want to train a model personally. Like I would like to goof around on a demo and do stuff. Sure. And my team actually in DevRel is the one that fine-tuned the model we use for Duet with all the Google Cloud stuff. So my team from scratch built up the data pipelines, processing. It was, a, it was an amazing effort, model quality. So I've gotten to learn through osmosis what they're doing. I don't really want to do that, though. I'm an app developer. Like that's, I want to know it. And things like prompt engineering, yes, you should know how to talk to the robot so that it gives you better stuff. Like that's a good thing to learn. Do I need to know how the model works? 
it doesn't hurt sometimes to understand, well, that's why I prompt this way, or that's why this works. So I think having well-rounded knowledge, like skim the article, the blog you read about, all right, what in the world is retrieval augmented generation? Oh my gosh. Like read it. I, I shared a good one yesterday, the other day in my, my feed and like, yeah, I read it. I don't want to do it, but I want to know about it because it feels important. And when I want to have conversations with people, I want to be aware of it. So I think for most devs, making this something you're aware of, even if you're not going to go deep on it, it's worth 5% of your mental cycles. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's a good way to think of it because I think sometimes um, there's kind of this feeling that like everyone has to know everything and it's just like, it's just not possible. So like pick your battles, pick your, your areas. So you mentioned do uh, duet and I, I kind of like equated this a little bit to kind of like the co-pilot phenomenon, right? Like everything was like, I don't know. I don't know exactly where it came from. You know, <laughs> but it's sort of like everything, everything's going to have a co-pilot, but maybe just like kind of like step back for us because I think Duet was like uh, attached to like many of the different announcements. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of saw it pop up in, in different ways. So like, let me give you a two part question, like kind of give us the broad base of like, what is Duet? And then like, where are uh, is it being applied that you think is most interesting? Yeah, this idea of, and, Kudos to what GitHub did and what Microsoft kind of kind of took from that with which is kind of slapping copilot on a bunch of different things and saying, like, hey, you build your own little copilots. That's a cool strategy, especially ecosystem. What duets is a little bit different, which says, can you add an AI collaboration layer and and smear that across your cloud and say, all right, I want to add AI assistance to a bunch of parts of the user experience. And so we showed some of this on stage. Get AI assisted query writing and completion in BigQuery or in your database. All right, that's pretty handy. I don't love writing SQL. I start glazing over after two joins. So awesome, like help me with that. Or let me, you know, use AI assistance to point at some gnarly query some DBA just gave me and say, what does this do? And it tells me that's really handy. So kind of make all those editor experiences better. We do that for code. We do it for SQL. Then you get stuff like, you know, the chat on every page of our console. And so every place in the cloud console, if you're just in there and you have this AI assisted chat bot that you can ask and say like, hey, you know, how, how do I choose between GKE and cloud run for serverless? Hey, wh- how do I, you know, properly shard this database? Like those sort of things in context, I think is killer because what do you and I all do today? Okay, we jump out to a search, we jump out to Stack Overflow, we jump out to a blog post, we go to a GitHub repo. It's all great, but we are destroying user flow. How hard is it to stay in a flow state when the minute you have to have that question, you go off on a tangent. And we all know from research what it takes devs like 23 minutes to get back on task. We're doing that constantly to people just because building modern software is awesome, but also remarkably complicated. There's so many libraries, considerations, CI, CD, like it's a ton. And so if I can keep you in a flow state by putting AI assistance literally where you're working, in this case, in the console, in the IDE, in your editors, I think that that's huge. And then the last piece of this is how do you use AI for more, not just, you know, real-time help? So for example, we show it on stage. If I pull up a log in our logging system and you say, oh my gosh, I got some weird error. You can click and say, like, give me a, give, give me a human readable summary of this thing. And they'll feed that into the model, show you a chat, give you a real-time summary. Like, hey, this is the, this is what we're talking about. Here's some things you might do to fix it. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Or same with security. Hey, there's a vulnerability the heck does this mean? Okay, give me a real-time AI-generated summary of the implications of this, how you might go fix it. It just makes kind of the cloud experience feel much more alive than this sort of just static pages. I have to do all the work. 
I think we're shifting to an era where the cloud should be doing some of the work for you. Why have we put all of the onus on the user? How come we can't be doing better than that? So I think Duet, thinking about better assistance, better building stuff, more real-time guidance, and then kind of in-situation help, I don't think we're going to look at the cloud the same way. Yeah, no, it definitely feels like this is the future. This is where AI is going to show up everywhere. Like, don't don't lead to your point. Don't for me. It's like don't go over to the open AI uh, window and then cut and paste, cut and paste, cut and paste. Yeah, it can be collaborative. Um, I mean, it can be assistive, yeah. but having it in context that even eliminating that switching cost. Don't just give me a code sample in Bard or ChatGPT. That's great, but when I get it literally where it is and it's getting real time compiled, there's no even context switching cost dealio. I think that's just going to keep us in a great flow state. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what you kind of mentioned it, uh, I think there in passing. So where, where did like this model, I guess, come from? What date, I guess, let me ask the question a better way. Like, where did all the data come from? It was just sort of like everyone that's been using Google Cloud and like you train up like the right way to do it. Is that where this kind of corpus came from? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, the foundation of the models, you know, these Palm models that Google's been creating for years, these great LLMs. And so the Palm 2 model, but then we said, that's great, but we don't want to just give generic guidance. And so- we took you know, almost a couple million pages of our cloud docs, every code sample, every reference architecture, every YouTube transcript, blog post, fed this in. We have a continuous pipeline going into the model for fine tuning and then some really good smart stuff on the prompting because as I've learned, a lot of the magic that you see, whether that's in Copilot or ChatGPT or Bard or others, isn't just the model. It's how good it is at context stuffing the request. Like when you type in request to a lot of these things, in many cases, there's a ton of context being stuffed into that. Like, oh, you know, if you're here, hey, you're a GCP developer, you're doing this, you're doing that. So you're giving it all this extra stuff so you don't have to know how to prompt it with everything. That's how some of these tools do some really cool stuff. And so we're doing some really good things on fine tuning, context setting, all of that. And so that what you're getting is very good, specific Google Cloud guidance. You're getting other guidance too. I can ask it, hey, how do I convert from you know, AWS S3 to Google Cloud Storage? And it understands both things really well, gives you a step-by-step. So it's general purpose, but we've also fine-tuned it. None of this uses any customer data. Anything you put into it gets discarded when your session's done. None of it gets saved. We do not train on anything customer-related. It's really just trained on the corpus of Google Cloud best practices, docs and code and you know blogs and YouTube stuff. All right, nice. Well, it was, it was very impressive. It was really cool to kind of like see some of the demos on stage. Now, one of the more impressive demos, and I can't remember who did it, um, mm-hmm. but she was great. She did this. Uh, it was uh, basically like rewriting. I think the, the example is like rewriting. I don't know if it was Java or something into Go, right? It was like, right. So I think it was like, I don't know if she did like a cut and paste. I can't remember. I have to go back and watch demo, but she was just sort of like, hey, you know, and I think this is sort of a, uh, you know, the demo was so good that I, you know, it's like, it's like, does it, is it really work this way? That's, you know, when something's so good, you're always a little bit skeptical. So I wanted you to maybe talk a little bit about that. But yeah, as I recall, it was sort of like, hey, you know, we need to convert. Uh, let's just say it was Java if it wasn't. Yeah, I think it was C++ to go. Okay, that's what I was saying. We want to convert this, uh, this nasty C++ code to go in this case. And, uh, and she basically showed how we do it there. And it was really, because um, what you were saying before, I think is at least how I've used it a lot. And I think other people are sort of like, you ask the AI for like an example, or maybe you give it a small code snippet and then, you know, kind of, you know, cause that way you can kind of understand it and then you kind of paste it back into like your editor. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of people are doing that. If not, forgive me, if people are being more advanced and so yeah. but this was sort of like, 
I mean, it was a pretty long, you know, set of methods or functions. Right. And then, um, and so my feeling was just like, I don't know, like, this is a lot to like, I'd like to reread all the code to make sure it was right. I was like, this would take me a long time. So, so I guess I want to say like, um, like how does it work? And then, and then for you, think about all the people trying to modernize. I think that's a great example. C or C plus plus to go or any other more modern language is a great example. Like, like how, how much time is someone going to save and how much should they trust the new code? Yeah, we're only at the start of that particular journey. So Priyanka and my team, she's the one who did that demo. It was, it was brilliant because that's a real use case, right? I mean, I I think you you probably know this better than I do. I, I think we, for the most part, moved all the easy stuff to the cloud. Now we're sitting with the hard, gnarly stuff. And that stuff's where like, hey, moving that C++ app, moving the mainframe stuff, like that has literally been the white whale for every cloud for like 10 years and nobody's making a ton of progress. It's hard. Right. That's tough stuff. And it's not even just it's hard. It's not like it's rocket science to switch COBOL to go. I can do that in BARD and stuff right now. It's an intertangled mess of different things. Oh, that depends on that database, too. And hey, it's this. I mean, it's complicated. It's IT stuff. It's 40 years of history. It's not trivial. That's why we did Legacy Land on our uh, song on day two. Like, yeah, to celebrate legacy stuff, but it's complicated. So I think there's two dimensions. First, there's the what you can do today, which is like, straight up code conversion, powerful stuff. You do need to know, again, I do not think you can outsource knowledge here. You still need to understand Go. I can't just switch in that context, C++ to Go, Go. It's probably fine, ship it. No, you gotta know Go. I gotta be able to look at the code. Does this make sense? Sounds good. You just saved me a ton of time rewriting pointers and methods and love it. But yeah, I'm gonna scan it. But honestly, we did a breakout panel. It'll be, uh, we'll post it online as well around how AI affects the whole SDLC. And we had a customer on there from GE Appliances. He mentioned a great use case, which is frankly the best thing right now you can do for modernization is literally even just open up the existing code, query, whatever, and ask the LLM, the heck is this? Mm-hmm. Like, explain yeah. this to me. Because how many of, we, of us have been handed a code base? Like many of us. And you're like, oh my gosh, I spent three months spelunking it, just figuring out the heck is this? Where is that variable used? And so being able to use an LLM to, first of all, just understand a code base is huge. Then as I start to use it for migration, I think we're going to see these whole generational exponential leaps over the next 12 months of, okay, I want to analyze the system, not even just the code base, analyze the system for me. Give me a long, you know, give me a migration plan. Help me execute that migration plan. Like we are at the absolute prehistoric ages of what's about to happen here. I think that's super exciting and probably unlocks the next wave of cloud migrations. I could argue we might have plateaued. We're all growing like crazy. But generally, like everyone kind of knew, all right, there's a certain journey to the cloud. I think that just changed. I think now we think there's going to be actual better assistance and better tooling, not just more consultants. Yeah, no, I think you're really, it's, you're really hitting on a lot of good points there because I think you're right. A lot of the easy stuff has moved. But going forward, I think the modernization part is like the next part to unlock. So I think it's almost like we've seen the first part. That's why that DM, uh, demo, and kudos to, uh, was it Priyanka you said? It was, I, th- I listened, you know, I know you had a lot of heavy hitters there, but I thought she was like the best in the keynote. She was yeah, like, yeah. and she uh, like, it's like, hey man, it's, it takes a lot of guts. There's a lot of people watching. So uh, and I thought she did well. Uh, yeah. So uh, I don't always worry when she's like, and now watch this. I'm always like, I was feel for the presenter. I hope it uh-huh. works. Um, but uh, getting back on track here, it's uh, that next step though is sort of like, yeah, it's great you can rewrite it. And I think what you're kind of hitting on, maybe the next step is sort of like automatically generating a set of unit tests and the functionality such that like you can be confident that like what was created uh, is right. And you don't have to, because the hardest part I think is finding people that have the skill set to both 
look at C plus, let's just say C and C plus plus and go be really good at both. Right. And to know that like, Oh, you know what the, the AI, like it missed a line there and that line or two or that little assumption it made, that's really going to bite us. So, so I don't know. So I guess I kind of left it like, it is really, really good, but it's also like, I'd be worried if someone's like, well, I just, I just ran the AI and we just, we just, everything's in go and just throw it to production. I'd be like, don't do that. That's not the, that's not the CIO message we want to be sharing. I think there's a clearly a, you know, maybe even trust, but verify. And if you skip the last step, you should be fired. Like maybe trust that it did some good stuff there, but you still need expertise. You should be doubling down on the expertise you're hiring for, training for, growing. This does not give you an excuse to dumb down your staff and go, can we just have minimal, keep the lights on? Robots will now do all, all our work. You're out of your mind. Like, no, no, now's the time to say, let's now make our best people exceptional because of the, thing, the tools we've given them. The smartest leaders are getting that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, let's give somebody some some pointer shares because I think that was a pretty cool. So I don't know what it was. She, what was she using? What editor? Like I don't even know how to like how she did all that. Like it's, VS and, code. Uh, it's just VS Code, and then I just hook up the Duet, and I'm sure there's we can have some links there to to do that. So it's it's it's, it's quote as easy as that, if you will. So it really, is. I mean, I've got I've got it up on my you know I'm, I have my local VS Code loaded with it now. You don't even have to use our cloud version. You could use the local version. Have this stuff plugged in and. Again, it's not magic. It's doing cool stuff. You're going to check stuff. You're going to go, where did you come up with that? There's occasional hallucinations. That's why we invest in grounding and we do other stuff to check results. But again, that's where your expertise matters. This makes you better versus makes you redundant. All right. So I like it. So Duet, I think we know we can write code with it. And we know that it can answer our questions about configuring uh, GCP, which is great. Now let's look. The next one I had written down here Mm -hmm. was uh, Vertex AI. So like, what is it? What should we know about it? Yeah, Vertex is a... So I would argue there are, and I I probably get in trouble for this. I think there's, every cloud has like a handful of services that that's the reason you use that cloud. We all have hundreds of services, but (laughs) you're not picking any cloud for, let's say, their operation suite. They're all great. You're not picking Amazon because a cloud watcher. Everyone has storage. Yeah, they're all tremendous. They're all great. That's not the reason you pick them. I think every cloud has maybe 10 to 20% of their cloud, which is like hot damn it's worth using it even if I don't use anything else. So for us, those are things like BigQuery, amazing analytics platform. GKE is the best Kubernetes platform. Spanner is still a remarkable database. And then Vertex is an AI platform. Vertex is our platform for training, testing, tuning models, building generative AI apps, exploring models. We launched something called a model garden that has about 100 pre-trained models, now including things like Llama 2 from Meta, all of our Palm models, you know, our code, code generation model, chirp for speech, you know, really amazing stuff. Great third-party models, great first-party models. So it's kind of the one-stop shop. If I want to start from scratch and do tuning, we got notebook interfaces in there, so you can do all of that. It's really a, a remarkably sophisticated, yet pretty straightforward to use. I am not an AI expert person, regardless of what Google puts on websites. Like, I just <laughs> do stuff. So, but I use it, like I, I, I can use it to test prompts out. I can use it to do some basic model examples. So I think the, the one thing that gets underrated is, look, Google clearly started as a consumer face, facing company, but as you and I, let's say in the 2000s and 2010s, maybe pre-cloud, I mean, Google Cloud's or Google's moat was that it, we built really easy to use stuff. You could use another search engine. We were what, the 24th search engine? Like we weren't the first one. You could use other things besides Gmail. I still admittedly have a Hotmail account. I mean, I'm living life. I'm going to be proud of it. Uh, 
plenty of webmail options, plenty of maps options. Like I've never seen a commercial for Google Maps in my life. So you use them because we're very usable. Focused on simple, get, get the job done. I think we've transferred that concept as much as we can to cloud as well. Saying, yes, build powerful things that people can use. Don't hate your user. And so that's kind of been our vibe. So while Vertex is remarkably powerful and there's no other cloud offering anything like it, it's also pretty straightforward to use and not rocket science. Yeah, learn stuff, follow tutorials, which we bake into our console, which is amazing. But Vertex is really one-stop shop if I want to be a model builder or model extender. Right. And I think you kind of mentioned model garden there because I think that was a good, that was another phrase that came a lot. So I don't know. I mean, there was a lot of models they listed. So I guess it's, I don't I, we'll have to again link to that to see what it is. But is there any, I guess, going forward, I guess, I mean, this is kind of a simple question. It's like, is the goal just to like have every open, you know, source or model, like, or what's Google's, uh, I guess, maybe thought process about like, what's going to go into the, the model garden? How do I get a model in there if I'm yeah. so inclined to do so? Yeah. Look, I don't think most people should necessarily be building and fine tuning their own models. It's expensive takes a lot of capacity. It might not even be differentiating. So sometimes you want to extend what's already there, but you also probably don't want to run this on your own 5,000 GPU farm somewhere. So some of the value of these things first is, can I just run this in a hosted environment with better efficiency, more green, all kinds of things. And so Model Garden, a great way to say, hey, you want to use Llama 2. Are you really going to run this completely yourself? I mean, you can, but is that what you want to do? Or do you want to run this in a managed fashion? So first, just having a managed host is great. And we're doing some things no one else is doing in terms of abilities there. Uh, so that's that's a lot of it. But then it's just, um, we'll be picky about which ones. We don't want it to just be a, you know, a weird farmer's market of <laughs> models of just right. like, what in the world is this? But there are a lot of great third-party ones from our partners. There's great ones we're offering. And so we want to make sure that you don't have to go elsewhere for mainstream models. We can be the place for all of it. All right. I like it. So, well, you mentioned you had a Hotmail account. I'll just volunteer that. I have a Yahoo Mail account. And the reason I have the Yahoo Mail account, it's on my mind, is uh, fantasy football. That is the only, that's the only thing, I would say 90% of Yahoo's value right at this point is fantasy football. So when, and I've thought, because Google has, of course, YouTube, and YouTube now has NFL Sunny Ticket, and YouTube has this beautiful multi-view. And I'm like, you know what Google needs to do? fantasy football like get it all integrated so yeah. uh when that project awesome. kicks off in the gcp fantasy football <laughs> uh, uh modeling and uh work begins. someone call me i feel like i will work almost for free to be involved in that so uh let's awesome. let's get it done google cloud so no that's good. all right so we got i think we know what duet is i think yep. we got a good understanding of, of vertex but let's you know hey we can't have a, a tech podcast and not talk about kubernetes so uh let's maybe give us the quick like gke mm-hmm. i think we all Probably know it, but maybe just refresher. What is GKE? Yeah. And then uh, the announcement there was GKE Enterprise. Tell us, delve into that because that's always like people always want to know where can I run it? You know, hybrid cloud. You know, all the the, the buzzwords people want to talk about. So, so uh, get us up to date on GKE. Yeah, yeah, sure. Look, we're still the number one contributor to Kubernetes by far. It's a great community now. Lots of awesome contributors to that, as well as you know, plenty of open source people forget Google makes like you know, still do most of Istio and TensorFlow and Angular and Go and Flutter and all these great things. But for GKE, it's how do we just make Kubernetes easier to run? And so GKE today, I mean, just even this week, we already have the latest version of Kubernetes available. It's amazing. Usually a week or two after it's actually shipped upstream, it's available in GKE. We handle all the scaling and patching and maintaining. GKE Autopilot's literally nodeless Kubernetes where you pay per pod, and we instantiate, flex, upgrade, scale the cluster on your behalf. Get the Kubernetes API. Don't get the Kubernetes ops. Great story. So 
if I just want to run Kubernetes, there's honestly no better place in the cloud, no better way to do it. I've used them all. I use them all regularly because I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment and I like trying things out. But we do, a, we do a nice job of it. What enterprise does is say, the next problem that most folks are having, and VMware has done some good surveys on this and others, is that most folks have moved away from few giant clusters into many smaller clusters. And it, you know, ebb and flow, but we're seeing more and more people with more and more clusters. So fleet management's a real problem. There's not a ton of perfect solutions for how do I maintain sameness configuration-wise? How do I start to do things from a monitoring and logging perspective? How do I do things from a policy and governance perspective? CI, CD, like managing fleets is not trivial. And so enterprise is a big focus on managing fleets and also then supporting things like multi-tenancy. Because some people do say, hey, I've got a few larger clusters, multiple teams want to use them, but I want to shard them off safely. I want all the logs going into the right places because everyone shouldn't see everyone else's logs. So it kind of takes more of that enterprise grade thing, capability around fleet management, around multi-tenancy and makes that available. It also includes all of what was in Anthos kind of rolling into that saying, and take GKE enterprise and run that on Amazon directly as clusters, run that on Azure, run that on vSphere, run that on bare metal, run it at the edge, still central governance, still central management, doesn't matter where that is, use a cloud-based control plane, even though your clusters are all over the place which everyone still does. So it's a nice way to kind of get the best of GKE regardless of where you are. All right, so I can run it wherever I want and maybe touch on like, you know, Anthos, maybe I always think of it as sort of the central management of all these various clusters. Is that still correct? Is that is Anthos still a part of this as it was before? Yeah, really Anthos melts into GKE Enterprise in a lot of the way. Like you're thinking okay. of like that's, you know, and it starts in the cloud, which it should, right? And the value prop, to be honest with you, and I'm not in sales, I don't have a quota clearly, is that I wouldn't use our GKE experience if I use literally nothing else from Google Cloud. I wouldn't put a GKE cluster on-prem. There's great stuff from VMware, Red Hat, Rancher. There's great products there. If that's literally all I want to use it for, there's great things. I don't know if we're the right choice. If I'm saying I am doing cloud-based Kubernetes, all right, there we go. And I want to extend that to my footprint, which is also in my data center, also in my retail stores, also in my Amazon. Awesome. Then start cloud spread out sign me up. Kind of Anthos started four years ago as much. I think we did a lot of hybrid multi-cloud stuff. And it often started with people going, hey, let me go drop this into a vSphere cluster. You totally can. But if that's literally all you're doing with us, I don't know, man, is that their best bet? Probably not. There's right. some other best of breed things there. So it really centralizes it back in Google Cloud, takes advantage of everything we've been building for years on fleet management, policy, configs management, amazing stuff, and says now you can access it easier from the cloud. Uh, from an enterprise perspective. Okay, got it. Makes sense. So, okay, so it's a nice, you know, kind of touches a little bit. I don't know. Does it touch on the platform engineering movement? Mm -hmm. Sort of like, hey, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm I'm sort of a platform engineer and I want to figure it out. So if I'm doing both of those things, maybe that, I, is that kind of the pitch? Like, hey, embrace this to do all of your platform engineering and kind of your work behind the scenes? I think so. I mean, look, we've all known that Kubernetes still isn't really a dev platform. It's a platform that you push stuff to. And right. it's a platform engineering experience. And that's amazing. And that's awesome. A lot of devs, yes, you, have, you should know some of the ideas of the primitives because you wouldn't know how to push your app. But you don't really have to understand CRDs. You don't have to understand the nuances of how you drain a node. Like, I just want to push an app. And so, yes, I mean, Kubernetes as a whole is a beautiful platform engineering sort of product to make sure you serve up an awesome platform for your devs. Like it, like it. All right, so we, we kind of hit on, we hit on duets, we know how to write code, we've got the the help wherever we need it in Google Cloud. We know 
uh, Vertex there so we can uh, definitely build our models and get new models. And now we uh, have our Kubernetes. So now what have I missed? This is sort of the, like, what were the hidden gems? What are maybe like, I don't know, one, two, three things that maybe don't immediately jump, jump out from the keynote that maybe a developer uh, would want to know about like, you know, Google, what Google's doing. Yeah. I mean, from the dev side, one thing we announced uh, quickly and then I showed off on the dev keynote was our jumpstart solutions. This is the, I don't know, man, an empty cloud is a really boring cloud. And so most people log in and go, what, what do I do now? Do I spin up a storage bucket? Like, what do I do with this ridiculous pool of things? Spin up a server in Brazil? Like, how do I use this thing? And so how do you just do executable reference architectures and not hello world stuff, but like, Hey, I'm trying to and user scenario based, right? I'm running an e-commerce app. I'm trying to do data processing in a pipeline. I'm trying to do a modern Java app. And so we took 14 of these patterns based on SEO data and looking at search trends from devs going, where were they struggling to find an answer for Google cloud? Cause they weren't landing on the right spots. Cool. Common dev scenarios, give them a great landing page. Let them click into one place where that says, Deploy this entire reference architecture, secure CICD, modern web app, whatever. Deploy it, one click. We blitz it out with, with Terraform. Delete it with one click when you're done. We'll show you how long it'll take, how much it'll cost for that whole solution for the hour, and give you a really nice way to go from, I want to, this cloud is interesting to show me kind of your best immediately. And it might be some cloud run serverless with some Firebase, you know, front end and then some, you know, good NoSQL backend. Like, show me your best. And for a lot of devs, like I, I love doing that kind of stuff on my lunch hour. I don't want to have to piece it all together myself. We were dropping this from like dozens and hundreds of clicks down to two. And for a lot of devs, like what a great way to learn the platform. So we GA'd that. So there's 14 of those. We're going to keep adding more based on customer demand and things like that. But really cool way just to try the platform and then bootstrap your next effort and say, all right, I proved you were good for this. All right, Cloud, Google Cloud, you got it. I'm okay now doing my next thing with you. And like, All right, so yeah. that's Google Jumpstarts. Jumpstart right? Solutions. Yep. All right, and there's 14. So yep. just, okay, everyone's listening. Give us, what's the one, if if you don't know anything about someone, which is the one they should start with? Which Jumpstart should they start with? Yeah, there, there's a couple around modern web apps, like the Java web app, JavaScript web app. Like these are just showing you multi-tier apps, give you a good okay. sense of how everything runs. You know, you can go more and more sophisticated, deploy multiple GKE clusters and like it's beautiful stuff. It just depends how frisky you're feeling. So if you're feeling like less frisky, cool. Just do a kind of a simple web app. If you're like, YOLO, let's let's just live life. I'm going to do the big boy. Then then great. You can deploy the one that uses 17 services, which is great. That's one of the beautiful way to learn the platform. All right, I like it. That's good. All right, jump starts. Everyone's got some homework. They can do it now. All right, on the business side, there are always many customer case studies at these shows, and there are many people speaking. Now, if you can only recommend one, uh, what's the one that you think is either the most interesting or the one that most people will walk away with some kind of interesting takeaway? Yeah, there was a good breakout with my, my boss, Gabe Monroy, who did a session with Wayfair, who's been using Duet and doing some of this with some of their coding exercises. They've run some hackathons. They picked us to, to do this as, as their primary tool for Duet. What I thought was great is, of course, you saw what you would expect at these sessions, which is like, hey, we're so much more productive. And hey, everyone's happier and you know everyone loves their kids more thanks to this. And that was great. But actually, I like that there was one good negative number there, which was that when they did the control group versus the AI kind of using group, initially the AI group was a little more frustrated and that's because they were just handed it. They weren't trained. And so initially it's like, what's going on? It's prompting me. It's telling me stuff. And it was a little frustrating. And then they figured that out and they were killing it. But I think it was a good reminder to me. And again, we should all watch these things that 
stuff is not magic. Train your teams, give them the right tools they need, prep them, right? Don't just shove tools on your team going, I expect 40% productivity now. Like that's insane. And how many people do that? So I thought it was a good reminder of, yes, there's amazing potential and you're going to do great things with these tools, but look out for your team. And I thought that was good. We should tell more of those stories at conferences. They cannot all be everything is awesome. Sometimes they can be, it was awesome, but we also screwed up here or this was a dumpster fire. And we need to hear those stories. That's how we all learn. All right, good. So that's the Wayfair case study. So everyone Yep, it was the dev, dev spotlight. I think you'll, you'll see it in the list. All right. Well, that's a good one. All right. Well, listen, I think everyone has no excuse now. You know everything you know. need to know about Google uh, Cloud Next. Everyone has homework to do. So uh, that was a fantastic overview. But now let's give the people what they really want to know. Okay. So Richard, you are one of the most prolific uh, people as, as far as just creating content that I've ever seen. In fact, you have this uh, newsletter that, what is it called here? What is yours? If um, let me make sure I get it right here. So it's like, I don't know, I guess it's uh, Richard Sroder's Architecture Musings. But the thing that's great is you have a, I don't know, what do you call it? Daily link blog that comes out every day? Yeah, is it daily like, reading list? Yeah. Yeah. Is that all? Like, I don't know. I don't even know how I signed up for it. Somehow I'm there, but I get it every day. Uh, and it's literally, it's just fantastic. I've heard it mentioned on, uh, we've we've used it a lot of, to find topics for this podcast. I've heard the guys on the Cloudcast talk about it nice. uh, and others. So like five stars, can't can't recommend it enough. We'll make sure uh, it's easy to sign up for, even though I, I don't, it's so easy. I don't even know how I did it. That's how yeah, easy it is. I just sign up um, Yahoo addresses automatically. So that's how you got it's, it. It's fantastic. <laughs> so what I want to know here is, What's your process? And then two, this is sort of like a perpetual um, productivity uh, search that many of us have. Like, what do you do to, how do you both curate? And then how do you manage all these different links that you find? Reveal your secrets to us. Yeah, yeah, that, that's good. The, uh, so yeah, the blog thing. So every day, right, I thought my twist would be most of the newsletters I receive are either weekly or biweekly or they're in the first thing in the morning. And I'm like, you know, how do I do something different? Well, what's my end of the day reading list? Like, what did I do today? So that's what I did. Nobody seems to do that. I thought that would be fun. It's a reflection of what I've been doing for a while, which is, look, I start every morning at, let's say, 6.30ish. I spend 6.30 to 7.30 or so just reading stiff stuff in my Feedly RSS reader and newsletters and stuff. And so I subscribe to way too many things. But just like, it's a whole cross-section of aggregator sort of things to, you know, engineering blogs from different companies to whatever. And so I read every morning for at least an hour or so. I open up a bunch of links in the Chrome tab. And then what I've done for years is then I'll, you know, either real time or schedule a handful of things in Twitter and just be like, yep, here's things I find interesting. But I was finding two things at the end of last year, which was A, I don't share everything I read because sometimes I don't want to be a corporate chill and just share like a ton of Google Cloud stuff. But it was really good stuff. So just dropping to the floor, I feel like I'm not sharing it. And then secondly, since social media is all kind of a, whatever zoo right now i wanted to take a little more control over what i'm sharing because i don't know where things are going to go and i've had my blog for 15 uh, almost 20 years now and it's like all right well how do i put this on my own thing and so i spend at most 10 minutes a day on the blog because it's really work i've already been doing to share stuff on twitter and other places i'm just also creating entries in a blog post with some richard commentary about each one and it's been fun as just uh, as an excuse to keep learning i'm a I have perpetual imposter syndrome. So as a political science major who pretends to be an engineer at Google doing stuff. And so it's great because it just forces me to love learning stuff and reading more and not taking anything for granted. I love reading about cloud dev stuff, but it could be platform eng. It could be how you sleep better, like whatever, wherever, whatever's coming across my feed. So 
yeah, every day I kind of just drain my, uh, my list of open tabs in Chrome throughout the day. And I keep Twitter open all day because I'm a glutton for punishment and I enjoy doing that. And there's always new interesting things people are talking about and you get early signals that you would never get even in a blog post. Because sometimes it's a throwaway comment from someone going like, this sucks or this is amazing. And it might take six months for that to have made its way into an analyst report or make its way into a real blog post. But I just, it's fun being part of this hive mind that exists in tech. And uh, if I can do a little bit to make sure everyone knows whatever the heck I know, that seems like a good deal. All right. So it's an hour of reading. And then it's interesting because I was like, I should also note that your newsletter is also available via RSS. And like, I don't know, I go back and forth. Like right now I'm in my email phase. So that's why I'm getting stuff. Um, but I don't know. I've, I've been in the RSS phase. So it's interesting yeah. that you mentioned Feedly. I don't know. I'm, I've rotated out of RSS, but I'll be back. You know, it's always, it's always a matter of, it's never, it's never <laughs> long before I'm switching. So, okay. But you're, let's just, you're reading it. And then like, are you doing anything other than like, like, do you like save all these links in your own little like, database system for the future or is it just like you just drain the list and the email or your blog post becomes your repository yeah mainly i'm, I'm a really uh i'm usually an obnoxious inbox zero person so i i hate having a backlog of anything so i drain for the most part all the open tabs in the course of the day they get added to the blog post they get added to uh -huh. twitter and just all day they're going to both places i have a real job so trying to make sure i mix that in over lunch to sometimes schedule the second half of the day and Look, I even put 15 minutes on my calendar at five o'clock every day to publish the blog post just to make it a rhythm. So yeah. I don't use a to-do list. I use my calendar. I don't have uh -huh. a to-do list. If it's important, it goes on my calendar. Otherwise, I, I, it's not important enough for me to do if I can't schedule it. So uh -huh. that just helped me make time every day to be a student, to work, and then do my real job. So yeah, it's just a process of continuous stuff. I don't like a That's fantastic, man. I think I can't, like I said, definitely. I don't know. I would almost like, I don't know if you like, are you an Axios uh, subscriber? Like I like, it's sort of like, it's just uh, the reason, the reason I love it is like, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's brief in the best possible way. It's just like, it's informationally dense. It's almost, and listen, we love Kote, right? I mean, love Kote as a, you know, a uh, long time friend, co-host of the podcast, known forever but he writes long, right? Hey, you right. got to have time. You got to have time where I see right. yours. Like, I know it's like, I'm going to get an informationally dense, you know, set of links and, you know, there may all be interesting, but there's usually like one or two that really stand out to me. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know, it's maybe it's just like the way I like it. Like that's like the perfect newsletter to me. So can't recommend it enough. All right. Well, I'm disappointed. I feel like maybe you didn't tell us your real secrets or like the secret is just like read a lot and then write a, and create a blog post. So I don't know, maybe that's like the secret to losing weight is just to work out and eat right. Unfortunately, that's kind of boring. So it is what it is. Um, all right. Well, let's get you out of here on, you know, you spent some time at least very familiar with VMware and then your previous job. And I'll actually post the link. We did an interview with you. I don't mm -hmm. know. It was a while ago. Yeah. Time is uh, time is hard to to real. Uh, so I'll I'll put a post there. So if, if people want to hear your background and kind of how you got to Google, we'll put there. But before this, you were involved with like Pivotal and VMware and things like that. So we all know VMware is going to be bought by Broadcom any day now. I think <laughs> the official announcement is going to happen. So yeah. I, just as simple as your as possibly, like what do you think? What's going to happen when this acquisition finally goes down? Yeah, I really wish there was like an acquisition notification generator. Maybe AI could do it because they all sound the exact. I'm gonna same. wait to you. I'm gonna get it from your newsletter. I'm gonna wait for you to you notify me. That's yeah. what I'm gonna do. I mean, every act. I've been part of two. Every yeah. acquisition ever has the same things. We're excited about the opportunity. This is new investment. We can reach new customers. This is a great next stage for the company. Every, every time, they're all the same. It doesn't matter if it's a four-person startup or it's like Dell buying VMware twelve times. Like it's always the same, same thing. So. Look, I, I mean, I, I've been through two acquisitions. I don't hopefully ever want to do it again. It was good, good experiences. I, I 
got a ton out of it. I'm rooting for this one. I think that they've, uh, they're getting some awesome people. And so an amazing technology base, very enviable. Uh, I can understand there's a lot of uncertainty there. I think if there's the best case for this is that that investment that Broadcom announced, what, another billion in R&D? That's amazing. So that the best case for customers is they're getting faster innovation, more dif- differentiation from what they can just get in the cloud, right? You want to differentiate here, add value to cloud. I think that's still the future. VMware has a great story there if they can keep adding unique value, not trying to fight it, but add unique value. I think the worst case is figuring out, there, I mean, there's a 100% chance that lots of things change. There's a 0% chance after acquisition that everything stays the same. You get that dreaded word synergy. You get like all these things that come up. You change marketing, you change sales. I mean, it's fine. It happens. That's, that's the point of the acquisition. If everything was awesome, you wouldn't be acquired. I think we all know that, right? Yep. So something will change. I think the hope, the, I think the worst case is it just kind of things slow down and you just have more like steady state, not super thrilling maintenance mode stuff. And, you know, cloud eats up the revenue over time. I don't think that'll happen. I think they'll be able to keep the innovation cycle going, but it's a concerted effort. Acquisitions are tough, you know, but if there's anyone who's going to succeed with this, I hope they do. Yeah, no, it's going to be really interesting. And I think for all of us, I always kind of come back to this. Um, this just grounds me of like why I'm so personally invested in this acquisition. It's like, mm. There are still like the cloud is exploding, you know, all there's a lot of success, but man, there are a lot of virtual machines in just VMware on premise all over the place. And so anytime, you know, it's almost like you're shaking a big tree that's got a lot of stuff, (laughs) right? And it's like, so if, you know, anything can happen, like you said, the the tree can go stronger and better and more healthy, or, you know, the tree can kind of collapse and things move around. So it's going to be fascinating to watch when it finally uh, is all done. So, all right, well, great, uh, great to have you on the show as always. Uh, What do you, I think we've hit on a lot of stuff. Um, Where can people find you online? Why don't you plug your newsletter one more time? Yeah, you can always go to Soroder.com and subscribe. Subscribe your families unknowingly. It's a, it's a great birthday present, great Christmas gift right. coming up. So These are Yahoo cool. email addresses. <laughs> yeah, I'll accept all of them. Hotmail, Yahoo, all, anyone you do. Uh, so yeah, Soroder.com. You can find me on Twitter, X, whatever, at uh, slash rsoroder, uh, LinkedIn. You can uh, send smoke signals, whatever helps. I, uh, you know, If you, have, you ever want to talk about stuff and you've got even customer chats and want to chat Google Cloud, you know, our DevRel team's amazing, travel the world and also do a lot of great digital content. And this is the best time ever to be in IT. I believe that. Like what you can do, the processes, we're better at software delivery, platform engineering is awesome, tool chains are amazing. Like everything is better. It's also super hard and complicated. So I guess uh, the best people who are doing well right now are continuous learners and just absorbing all the things. So if we can ever help with that, let me know. All right, fantastic. All right, Richard, thanks a lot for coming on the show today. Thank you much. All right, for everyone else, if this is your first time listening to Software Defined Talk, then welcome, and you can probably subscribe right now in the podcast player you're listening to, or you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, and we've got links to our Slack. You can follow us on all the different social media, and if you want a Software Defined Talk sticker, send me your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.